Now, folks, what I'd like you to do right now is I'd like for you to to open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Remember, we're in 1 Thessalonians. We have been for uh, quite a while now, for over two months, and uh, we're getting into that last chapter of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to focus on verses 1 through 11 today. Now, I just kind of re- want to remind you, why why are we doing this study? Because some of you are like, yeah, this has been good, George, but how does this relate to where I am today? Well, the fact of the matter is, is like the Thessalonians, we live in difficult times. In their day, this is when the church was first starting out and the gospel was coming to Asia Minor. It was a difficult time period. There was all kinds of difficulties around. And then add to that, they had embraced Christianity, which was something new on the surface. And people weren't reacting well to that. And so they were facing persecution. And they were trying to keep their faith in the midst of everything that's going on. And really, that's why we've entitled this series, Peace in the Coming Storm. Because here we are, we're 2,000 years later, and Christianity is established now. But again, we find ourselves in a position where people don't really care for your Jesus or what you believe. Would you please keep that to yourselves? That's the polite way that we've been told. And, and you're watching the chaos around you and, and you're wondering, how do we respond during these times? Well, when you come to 1 Thessalonians, we, we've seen a lot of things about the reality of who we are and what we believe. But we've also seen, especially when we got into chapter 4 and chapter 5, that we're called to please God. We're called to please Him with our lives. And And we've been looking at four specific areas. One area that we're in right now, the third area, we can divide it into two sections. But it's about pleasing God. What do you mean? Well, if you go back to chapter 4, and if you look at verse 1, so if you'll notice your screen, Paul says this, Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God. See, this is really the issue, folks. This is what we're seeing is what what is really important. Can I be honest with you? Who wins the election? That might be important for the country, but for you as a believer, that's really not important. Leaders come and go and have for centuries. But the church of Christ will continue on. You have an eternity ahead of you. You need to think in terms of what you are supposed to be for Jesus. And what's really important is your life in Christ. And what we see here are two things, two important things that you need to understand. Here's the first one. We are called to thrive as believers. Now, when I talk about thriving, I am, again, I'm not talking about you thriving financially and even health-wise. There are believers around the world that are thriving spiritually, but they don't have wealth. In a lot of instances, they don't even have their health. But they're thriving. 
They have peace. They have joy in Christ that carries them through the difficult times. And you and I are called to thrive. He says it this way in 1 Thessalonians 4.1, that you abound more and more. That's what he's talking about. Our life needs to abound more and more. It's talking about you and I having that abundant life. Isn't that what Jesus said? I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. That you might thrive as a believer. The second thing he tells us is that the, the key to thriving is living to please God. In order for you to thrive, in order for you to, to continue on in this world that is around us, you and I need to get to the place where we realize that the key to that thriving, the key ingredient to you and I thriving in the Lord is pleasing Him with our lives. And then as we've gone along in 1 Thessalonians, we've seen this, that we're to please God with our sexual purity. You know, we live in such a sex-oriented society, it, it just permeates every part of our lives, from our advertisement to the jokes that we tell. And he's telling us, I've called you to be holy Separate yourselves from that. The other thing is that the key to pleasing God is loving each other. Loving one another. Allowing God's love to flow through your life towards others. That is within the church and even outside of the church. Man, that is a message that we need to hear in today's day when there is so much anger and hatred to everyone. Towards everyone. Then we saw last week that we're to please God with our hope. What hope? Not looking at right now. It's, it's one thing for you to have a plan or a 10-year plan or a 5-year plan or whatever about what you want to achieve and how you want to better your life. But you've got to hold on loosely to that because <laughs> how many economic downturns do you need to experience before you realize that nothing is sure? You need to have your hope in something else. And that hope, in which we saw, was, was the rapture, the resurrection that will take place when Jesus comes back for us. So now we're going to continue on. We're going to continue talking about that hope. But he's going to move from hope to what I would call watchfulness. You and I need to be living our lives, watching, anticipating. Anticipating what, George? Jesus coming back. You need to live your life with one eye cocked to the door, wondering, is he going to walk in? Oh, he's not going to walk in, George. That's not a, no, but that's the point I want you to see is that you are aware, you're alert for him. That's what we're going to see today. Next week, we're going to talk about pleasing God with our practical lives in that final area. But let's look today. We're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. So you can look at your Bibles, or you can look on your screen, but let's look at these together. Here's what Paul writes. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren... 
you have no need that I should write to you. But you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of love, of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. All right, so folks, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, to take this passage and we're going to talk about the whole issue of watchfulness. Now, I was thinking a lot about this this week. I had a discussion with somebody um, within our own congregation. We've talked about this a few times through the years. And it was about this whole issue of watchfulness. And, and we reflected on a danger and the danger is, is that we can get so comfortable here that we give up watching. And then before you know it, he's back. But you're not ready. See, that's the danger in the Christian life. The danger in the Christian life is that you know that he's going to come back, but you're not living your life right now in anticipation of that. You just know it's going to happen. Oh, he's going to take me out of here before all that stuff happens. But you go on and you do your own thing. And then when he comes, you'll be caught off guard. And that's really what he's talking about here is about you and I being watchful. Now, here's how he's going to do it. He's going to, first of all, he's going to talk about in verses 1 through 5 the whole issue of timing. A lot of people are fixated on this whole issue of timing. I think we really need to pay attention to what Paul's telling us here. And then we're going to talk about that you and I need to live ready. We need to be prepared. Like in verses 6 through 11, we're going to see that. So let, let's talk about the issue of timing. Notice what he says here in verses 1 to 2. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, we have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord, that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Now here is what you and I need to grasp. And this is especially true if you are so fixated on trying to figure out when Jesus comes back. 
you already know that Jesus will come back suddenly. That's the point he's making here. He's saying to these folks, really, guys, I don't need to say anything more to you about when he's coming back. It seems to be that people have a fixation with trying to figure that out. And so through the years, you know, I've been a believer since 1985. Through the years, there have been numbers of guys who have come along and they have made predictions about when he will come back. Some have given as exact dates. Then he comes back. And we're still here. So then they, they, they think, well, there must have been something wrong with my calculation. And so they come up with another date. Sometimes it's usually within a year or two after their first date. And again, we're still here. And then they go hang their heads in disgrace and it really didn't need to be that way. You know, we could say, oh, I can't believe they would have done that. Well, you know what? I, you're right. I can't believe that they would have wasted their time trying to figure it out. The other thing is, is I can't believe people listen to them. This is reality. You and I have enough information. And this is all we need to know. Jesus will come back suddenly, unexpectedly, just like a thief coming in the middle of the night. Nobody expects a thief to show up. But you and I need to recognize that. Listen, if you think about it for a moment, think, I just, just, just thought it occurred to me, a thief doesn't check with you about what you have on the calendar and what your plans are. He waits for the right moment, and he shows up, and he does what he does. That's the thing I need you to see. With Jesus, the, is, the issue isn't what your plans are and what you want to achieve. He's going to show up at the right moment according to his plan, according to the plan of the Father concerning the course of this world. And you already know that. You already know that, but notice what he says here in verse 3. It's really interesting because while we should be ready and we already know that he will appear suddenly, he, he kind of reflects on where the rest of the world is. Look at verse 3. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Listen Next thing I want you to see here is this. The world will be caught off, totally off guard as they relish in their peace. They'll be caught totally off guard. They're not expecting this. See, this is what the world is striving for. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm 54, so I've been through a lot of election cycles. I remember the first time I voted was when Ronald Reagan was running for office. What I want you to see is this. The issue always is peace and security 
and safety. I can remember years ago, some of you are old enough to remember, maybe 20 years ago, that the issue was job security. Remember when we talked about that all the time? Why would we talk about job security? Well, we talked about job security because of the issue of peace and safety and security. That, that's an issue even now. As you're, you're looking at the chaos that's erupting on TV, that really has become the issue now. That with also, in some instances, the virus, it's, it's really the safety and security of people. This is where, where if you go around the world, people have one universal desire, and that is for peace and security. But see, that's what's going to catch them off guard is, is they relish in their peace. They're not going to expect Jesus to come back. And they'll be caught off guard. In fact, other passages of Scripture make it very clear that when he returns, are you ready for this? The world will mourn. What? It's Jesus. That's going to be awesome, him coming back. Yes, for you and I, but for the world who rejects him, who wants nothing to do with him, who's persecuted his, his saints, they will mourn. And they'll be caught totally off guard. Here's the other thing I want you to see from this passage. Unlike the world, we understand because we are children of the light. Look at what it says in verses 4 and 5. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. And we are not of the night nor of darkness. He's basically saying that when Jesus comes back, the one group of people that who should not be surprised by him coming back are believers. There is no reason why you and I should be totally caught off guard by Jesus coming back. Because the reality is, is that if you are watching, if you are waiting then you will understand and you will know. In fact, as I was telling you that, my thought went to Daniel chapter 12 at the end of his prophecy. L listen, listen to the words of the angel. Daniel wants to have more information. He, he's like you and I. You know what I'm saying? We've got the word, but we want to know more. Give us more details. And, and the angel is basically telling him You've got enough. Listen to what he says, verse 9 of chapter 12. And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed and sealed to the time of the end. Many shall be purified, made white, and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly. He's talking about the reality that many will come to know Jesus and be clothed in white, that is, clothed in righteousness. But the wicked are just going to keep doing what they're doing. He said, None of the wicked shall understand. Isn't that what he was talking about, that they're totally caught by surprise, what he's saying in 1 Thessalonians. But then notice what it says here. But the wise shall understand. But the wise shall understand. Why will we understand? Because we're children of the light. And as we get closer to the time, 
you'll understand what's happening, and that should give you a different focus. You know, I hear people all the time, well, we're living in the last days, great, wonderful. If you believe that, then live like it. Get yourselves right. Get yourselves ready. What do you mean, get yourselves ready? Look, if you knew somebody special or important was coming over to your house to visit you, I know this happens a lot in my house. I'm sure it happens in your house. When we have guests who are arriving, I can already tell you that that day is spent cleaning up the house, making the house ready for our guests. And then not just cleaning up the house, we take care of cleaning up ourselves. We get a shower, we get a shave, we comb our hair, we put smelly stuff on. We prepare ourselves for the guests to come. We're not loafing around in our sweatpants, kicking up our dirty socks. Oh, let me move that garbage off of the sofa so you can sit down. No, we don't do that. We prepare ourselves because we know that there's someone special coming. See, this is the reality. If you have come to the conclusion that we are living in the last days, then are you changing the way you live your life? This is the reality. It's the issue of timing. This is the issue of being watchful. This is what he's talking about here. You are children of the light. Daniel says, the wicked will keep on doing wickedness. But the wise... Remember what Proverbs says? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding. <laughs> but the wise, they'll understand. This is the issue of timing. So, so then, okay, George, I'm supposed to be ready. How do I live? Well, this is what he tells you in verses 6 through verse 11. He talks about you and I living ready. I remember when I was in the Boy Scouts, the Boy Scout motto is be prepared. You and I need to be prepared. We need to live ready. You need to live ready. Look with me. First thing I want you to see here, we see in verses 6 through 7. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do. Let us watch and be sober. There, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. All right, so here's the first thing I want you to see here. He's telling us what we need to do if we're going to live ready, okay? We need to be on guard and self-controlled as we wait for his coming. On guard and self-controlled. That's what he's talking about here in verse 6 when he talks about not sleeping. You, you, you don't sleep away wondering. You, you, you're ready. You're, you're watching. You're anticipating. And then sober. What's he, you know, we think of so, sobriety in terms of somebody getting off of their alcoholism. Actually sober, that is an aspect of it, but it's a lot more. It's about you and I being self-controlled. Self-controlled in what area? Not allowing your flesh to do whatever it wants to do, but restraining yourself as you wait, as I wait, for his coming. That, that's the reality here, folks. We need to be on guard and self-controlled as we wait for the reality of his coming. Now, look with me at verse 8. He says this, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith 
and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. So in the meantime, you and I have got to do something. As we're waiting, here's what we've got to do. In the meantime, we need to hold fast to faith, love, and hope as we stand. In fact, he describes these three, faith, hope, and love, as, as pieces of armor that you would wear. A breastplate and a, and a helmet. Because you're in a battle. Don't you realize that yet? You and I are in a battle. That, that is very much the language of the New Testament. You know, as you think about the, the breastplate of faith and love and the, the helmet of salvation that he's referring to, that your mind should immediately go to Ephesians chapter 6 where he talks about the whole armor of God that you and I need to be putting on. Now listen, some folks will get up in the morning and I'll put on the helmet. That's not what he's talking about. He's describing elements of your faith, elements of your walk with Jesus that you hold on to. These are things that you hold on to during the week, during the day, as you live your life for Jesus. Faith, hope, love. And you stand. That's how you live ready. That's how you live ready. And so this, listen, so then we come to really the final thing I want you to see here. Look with me in verses 9 through 11. For God did not appoint us to wrath. Okay, let's stop for a moment. What is he talking about there, wrath? He's talking about hell, folks. You who are saved, who have put their trust in Jesus, you are not appointed to go to hell. That's what it's talking about, wrath. You are not appointed to experience the wrath that is to come. That is, that time of tribulation upon this world. You and I were not appointed to that, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus, who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, okay, this is what we're supposed to do now. This is how we live ready. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. All right, so here's what he's saying, okay? The reality of Jesus' coming is to be a source of comfort and hope for us. It's got to be a source of comfort and hope. And this is how we comfort each other. So when you're in church and you're with people and they are going through the ringer, they have had a terrible week, the next week's going to be even more terrible, and they're wondering and they're trying to hold on, you as, a, as someone who knows the Lord Jesus, who's living ready, you comfort them, hold on, hold on, and you edify them. Isn't it interesting? At the last part, of the passage concerning the rapture in chapter 4, verse 13, he says, therefore comfort one another with these words. Here he's talking about, with reference to that second coming, he's talking about you comfort each other with this reality, but you also edify them. What is that? Build each other up. We need each other to hold on. We need each other to be the people that we need to be when he comes. So much for living the Christian life by yourself, right? Scripture never teaches that. And especially if you and I are going to be watching. We need each other. Listen, that's why, okay, 
you know, it's, you know, we're going to be a couple weeks here. We're going to be regathering. We figure we're at a place where we can take precautions here. And you are at a place where you understand the precautions that you need to take and the two come together so that we can connect with each other because we need to connect with each other. Listen, because we need each other. I need you, you need me. And isolation is not good for any of us. And so with that, we're going to be meeting together, but also we're going to do these studies. We're calling them connection groups. And with the connection groups, we want to provide an opportunity for you to connect with somebody else. When we say, hey, how can we pray for you? Pray for me because this is going on in my life. And you know that there are others in that group who are going to say, okay, I'll pray for you. And this is what Jesus did for me. And you know there's others in that group who will say, praise the Lord. And this is what I saw in that passage. And they'll say, yes, we saw that too. This is the reality of his coming needs to be a source of comfort and hope with us as we encourage each other, as we exhort each other, and as we comfort each other. This is how we please God. This is how we thrive when we do this, this is how we thrive. Isn't that what's most important? That we please our Christ with our lives. So that brings me to my final points. It's a point I've been sharing with you over the last few weeks. It's really something for you to think about. This is it. You and I have to choose if we want to thrive or flounder. Look, the choice is yours. Choice is yours. This is a choice I have to make. And it's not like a one-time decision like, okay, I'm going to choose to thrive. And you forget about it, you go on, and you just continue on the way you've always continued on. That's really not the issue. The issue is you have to make a continual choice to thrive. Each day is a new day. Each day has its own difficulties that will test you. And you have to say, in spite of this, I'm going to live my life for Jesus. I'm going to live my life to please him. I'm going to be everything he wants me to be. You have to choose that. Or you could choose to flounder. And we all know what that's like. And who wants to be there? I don't. And I'm sure you don't either. So this is what it means. To live our lives to please him is that we begin watching, waiting, because he's our hope. Nobody else is. Jesus is our hope. Let me pray for you.